0: It's the Stinkin' Truth Podcast with Mark Schlereth.
1: Presented by Sweet Sweat.
0: Hey guys, welcome in Stinkin' Truth Podcast. Mark Schlereth alongside Mike Evans, Scott the hub producing the show. And uh, as always, love to thank our presenting sponsor, the great folks over at Sweet Sweat uh, for all your exercise, fitness, uh, nutritional needs. Check out my friends at Sweet Sweat. You can find them at sweetsweat.com. They've got some new uh, post and pre and post uh, workout uh, juices. Well, I juices, they're like powders. You know, you mix them in your water. Delicious. <laughs> Energy, uh, all kinds of stuff in them like good stuff like the belts creating. too i love those belts you love the belt love the belts. i love the belts as well and um uh, you might have noticed i'm losing some weight you are losing some weight yeah, yeah i've been uh, i've been getting using my sweet sweat working out well for tv season yeah i'm getting ready for tv season because uh you know i'm going to be on the road here in a couple of weeks doing games and uh turns out i'm fat yeah and yeah. Uh, you
1: either need to lose weight or buy really large shirts
0: you right are gonna have to either buy buy bigger clothes like when I try to button that top button my oh. head almost popped oh. off oh. At, toward the end of last season so that's gonna be the key
1: and uh sweet sweat help me get there Mike how are you buddy I'm good I'm good I'm I'm I'm, I'm kind of curious I'm wondering I don't know have, have you heard anything as to really what went down in in Baltimore with Earl Thomas because that that was kind of a, a stunning divorce there. Right. Well
0: there's some there's some reports. You know, I mean, you know how that you know how it always works, right? Is it's production versus problems, right? There's an equation there. And when your problems seem to start outweighing your production, then you become you become dispensable. You know? And I think with Earl Thomas, he's still one of the elite, one of the top players in football. But his problems are such, you know, he had the offseason incident with his brother, um, which was just strange to say the least. Uh, I don't know. They were involved in some sexapade sex, sex. How do you say that sex, sexcapade sexcapade? So I, you know, the, his wife wielding a gun and there's all kinds of, and then he said, you know, he released a statement, Hey, during this tough time in our relationship, please respect our privacy. <laughs> Dude, like really? So there was all that off season stuff that went on the, you know, just strange. Um, and then this, and basically says, you know, there's reports right now that says he wasn't very well liked in Baltimore. Um, and, you know, I, I think that I think it's fair to say that Earl Thomas is kind of a strange duck, um, to say the least. You know, if, if you're having an orgy with your brother, I think that that's, um, you know, that's a bit weird. Um, you know, I'm not trying to label him or, or, you know, throw my own, you know, my own morality toward him. But it just feels weird. I think most people would would think that that's a little bit strange. But regardless, whatever, um, to each his own. I I just like there's always those guys in the locker room that are are weird. But as long as they're professional and they are good at what they do, like you just accept some of that, you know, weirdness. But now the reports are that he wasn't well liked. Um, I have heard through sources that they had a players council after he punched uh, his fellow safety in the face or whatever, or punched him that, uh, they had a council uh, of players and, um, and essentially the players said to John Harbaugh, we don't want him around anymore. So, I mean, there's, there's a lot of, of strange things going on in regards to Earl Thomas, but I think, you know, I've covered them the last couple of years and I've done a couple of games and I've been over at Baltimore's facility and, and I've spent some, I've spent some time with John Harbaugh and spent some time with that coaching staff. I've got some friends on that coaching staff. So um, I will tell you this. That is a very tight run, tight knit organization. And um, and they're not going to suffer fools and they're not going to suffer guys who aren't aren't committed. And. I think that's I think that's commendable, man. I think that's one of those things in Baltimore. Like, hey, they're going to give you a chance, even though you've got some you know, some things going on, right? They're going to give you a chance, but essentially, you got to toe the company line. And if you don't, we're going to move on. And I, I think that's I think it shows you something about that organization as a whole.
1: Well, it shows you first of all how secure the coach is. Mm-hmm. You know how how much he's willing to sort of loosen loosen the reins a little bit, and uh-huh. not be so you know ultra control freak. That he allows his vo- his players to have a voice, right? And he and then he listens to those players, and he empowers those players. And there's a reason why Baltimore has one of the better cultures around football, and has for well over a decade. Mm-hmm. And and give Harbaugh credit because he allows those voices to be heard, and and then he listens to them. I mean, this isn't just one of those things where, okay, I'll take it under advisement, you know, and then go off and do his right. thing. I mean, he took it under advisement, he acted on it. Yeah. You know, think about how that resonates around the locker room.
0: Well, think about what he has done here in the last few years. He has gotten rid of a quarterback who was a Super Bowl MVP, traditional type quarterback, essentially – the organization and Ozzie Newsom in his last draft wanted to go after Lamar, but it had to be okay with John, and John signed off on it and said, yeah. And then John saw the value of something different, saw how Lamar Jackson resonated with the rest of the players, and essentially said, we're going to do we're doing something totally different. He changed his entirety of his offense, and the entirety of his defense. Everything got morphed into how can we play with this unique, God-given talent that we've been blessed with the draft at 31 or whatever it was, and kind of the rest is history. So I think John Harbaugh has so much. I think if you if you're talking about the credit that he has been given like, like the the trust and the believability, and just the the credit that his his team is willing to give to him because of the decisions he's made. Like, I don't know that there's a coach in all football that has that has built up more respect and and just believability. There's a word I'm looking for there that I can't come up with, but credibility, credibility, just from his own players. Yeah, how much? There's almost a reverence because of the trust that they have in the decisions that he has made, and you know this is this is just one of those interesting things. It just adds to that aura for me. Well,
1: and, and it, it it's so simple when you think about it, and yet you wonder why so many teams in all professional sports struggle with it. What does he ultimately do? He treats his players like men. Yeah. He he, he just is honest with them. He listens to them. They build a trust, mm-hmm. communication. Right. It sounds so simple, doesn't it? Like, it, why can't every franchise do it? But 90% of the franchises can't. Right. It's It is amazing –
0: Um, and, and and this is what it comes down to for me is I think regardless of what you do for a living, we're all in the relationship business. And like, if you're not in the relationship business, you're just going out of business. That's what it boils down to. And I think first and foremost, you know, John Harbaugh is in the football business, but he's in the relationship business first and foremost. And. There's an authenticity about being in the relationship business. You that's what you have
1: you have to have that inside of you. Would you say that's the one um I, I guess common denominator among any coach that is in we're talking about NFL in, in one place for more than six, seven years? Is that authenticity? Right. Authent- it's Harbaugh, yeah, it's Belichick. I mean, for all of Belichick's, you know, supposed faults. No one's gonna say he's not authentic, right? Uh, he, he is Carol. who he is.
0: Yep. Yeah, I think that that I think it's I think it's Dungey when you right. know I think it's big. I mean, I played for a guy. I played for two guys like that. I played for Joe Gibbs and Mike Shanahan, and and there is there is like listen. I know if I don't do my job, I'm gonna get fired, right? I mean, make no bones about it. Joe Gibbs never uttered a cuss word. In four years of playing for Joe Gibbs, I never heard him one time cuss. Now, I watched him turn over a table of Gatorade at halftime in Los Angeles when we were playing the Rams. I watched him do that. You know, I watched him be as mad as anybody I've ever seen, anger-wise, but never once did a cuss word fall out of his mouth because he's authentic. He is who he is. I also knew that if I didn't do my job, I was either going to get benched or I was going to get fired. We make no bones about it. That's what those guys do because they are football coaches. But there is an authentic relational aspect to what they are, who they are. They really, it's not fake caring. They don't fake care about you so that they can get the best performance out of you. They care about you. They care about your family. They care about your livelihood. They care about what's best for you. And they're not afraid to tell you the truth. They're not afraid to say, hey, dude, like, this is why, this is how much I care about you. I'm about ready to fire your ass if you don't pick it up. Like that's how much I care about. So you need to get your you whatever whatever you're going through right now. I'm here to help you, but if you don't perform, I cannot keep you. So I, I just think the great coaches have that about them, and it sounds so simple, it does, Mike, but it's but, so rare. But yeah, the bottom line is there's not a lot of people, especially men, that are equipped to to not only have authentic toughness and strength but like i always say like toughness and strength is is about loving people about caring for people about having a relationship with people that that's that is
1: true strength so did gibbs have a uh like right on the edge but what what you know what passed as a cuss word for him like you know
0: yeah oh yeah dumb it Oh yeah, you he know, had, was,
1: well, there had to be a word.
0: Right, there was. Now, you uh, knew he was like, right seething. Like you're giving me a case of the Reds.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> like, if you got to a case oh, of the Reds, and you knew
1: it was like five alarm.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, that is like that is like when you've you know. Had that acid diarrhea for like three or four days after, and you're and you're heinie, you're like you got to go to the bathroom again. You're like, oh, I don't want to go in there. It's gonna sting, you know. That's case of the Reds right there. Whereas
1: if anybody else said that, it'd be snicker snicker laugh laugh. Right. But if he
0: says it, you're like, oh man, coach pissed. Right. <laughs> he used to also say, knock your cods off. <laughs> What's a cod? Like the fish? I, I, I thought he. I think it, I think it refer. I, like a cod piece that kept your, oh, like, you know, like your nethers your nethers in check. Yeah. You know, it was like a cod. I don't know. I, yeah. I always thought of cod. Like, I hit somebody so hard, I would always look around. Like, if I just absolutely snot bubbled the guy, like, I'm the peel guy on screen, you know, so the defensive end doesn't see you, and all of a sudden the ball floats over his head, and he turns around, and there you are. Like, back in my day, you used to just lay that dude out. You try to knock his teeth out, right? And um, and that was legal. Like, now it's a peel-back block, and you can't do it. But back in my day, it was totally legal. And you get some of those shots, man. Just absolutely snot bubble a dude, right? And um, that just yeah, just destroy a guy. And then you'd be looking on the ground like, did I knock any cods off? Like, did, is there a fish on the – like, <laughs> just flopping around, flopping around out there.
1: Oh boy, defensive uh, linemen must have loved, loved you guys back then.
0: No, that's why when you threw an interception, you knew – Yeah, retribution gonna get- was coming. Oh yeah, I've gotten Be a careful. couple. I got a couple of those. Yeah, yeah. A yeah couple. They, of, they came. I looking, can name them too. They came looking for you. Oh yeah, Leslie O'Neill got me once uh, when he was playing with the not the Chargers, but when he was playing with the Chiefs, he got me like it was bad here in Denver. Uh, Bruce Smith got me in Buffalo on a cold December night. Oh, dude, he just laid me out. And, um, literally, you know, the, the term snot rocket where, you know, how you, you, like on a cold day, winter day, you hold one nostril and you, and you blow some snot out it all out. Yeah. So he hit me so hard that, I mean, (laughs) like this wad, both nostrils just shot snot out of them. Right. I mean, it's on my face mask and it, I mean, I like, I hit the ground. Wham. And, um, And I'm dazed, you know, dazed and confused, but I just got snot all down the front of my face. And you know how I have a propensity for my nose to bleed. Yeah. Right. And I am like, I'm stumbling to my feet, trying to get to my, like acting like it didn't hurt. Right. Because that's what you do. And, uh, you're getting up like, hey, nice shot, you know. <laughs> and meanwhile, you're like, <laughs> you know, about ready to cry. Yeah. So and it's I'm, that
1: snotty cry.
0: Right. Yeah, know? yeah, yeah. It's like, a- And I'm literally, I keep wiping my nose with my hands as I'm walking. They're underneath my face mask because I thought my nose was bleeding. Yeah. There was so much like literally so much snot that shot out of my nose that I'm like, oh, I'm trying to stop the bleeding, you know, because I'm <laughs> uh, stumbling there's, back there's to the no sideline. <laughs> yeah, there's no blood. It's just 100% snot. <laughs> so, yeah, I've had a couple
1: of those I've uh, just absolute snot rocket hits. So, well, all right, we, we we kind of went off on a bit of a tangent here. We started talking about Earl Thomas. Right. So let, let, let's get back to him. So, all right, be, before we start talking about specific teams, what – kind of defense does he need to be in you know what 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 are his strengths as a player and how do you fit him into what you're trying to do defensively?
0: Yeah, you know interestingly enough, I mean, you think about what he was in Seattle and what he was was a high post safety. Honestly, he was a middle of the field eraser and he was the best in the business back in the Legion of Boom days. You know, everybody talks about Sherman, who's a great player. Everybody talked about, you know, Chancellor, who is down as a buzz safety in the box, trying to rob crossing routes and all that kind of stuff. Um, everybody talks about those guys, but it was truly when you talk to people who really know secondary play, it was really about Earl Thomas. He was the one that created the opportunity for them to play the style that they played because he was so savvy. He had such great football acumen and he had such great anticipatory skills that he could close and wide open seam routes get picked off or got broken up or, um, or whatever the case may be, he was just great at that. And I think, you know, obviously as you get older, you lose a step here or there. hes I don't believe, even last year, one of the big things they were trying to get him was a sack because he had never had a sack in his career. No kidding. Yeah, and I don't know that he got one last year or not, but, you know, talking to Wink Martindale, uh, who's their defensive coordinator, um, good a good buddy of mine, but he would he would tell you that he was actively trying to get Earl Thomas a sack last year, Um and they are such a they're such a unique team from the standpoint of being multiple and how much pressure they bring and when you bring that much pressure well you you got to have guys you know that can that can man up and cover and and Earl can still do that there's no question but um you know you've got to be able to you got to be able to to be in tune with everybody else and you know if you're not or you're missing meetings or you're not paying attention or whatever the case may be it's not like hey i'm just playing a deep safety in a cover 3 you know we got a lot more responsibility in this defense that we're running here in baltimore so um i i still look at that as being kind of the best fit and so you know you talk about fit of the dallas cowboys you talk about fit of you know where is earl thomas going i i i think based on the injury to, what's the kid's name in Cleveland? Delpit? Delpit, from, yep. Based on that injury and based on what they're going to try to do in Cleveland, I, I just feel like that is the best fit. Joe Woods used to be a DB coach here, then went to San Francisco and was a DB coach in San Francisco under that San Francisco system, which is the Seattle system. Uh, Robert Sala is the defense coordinator. He was with Seattle, got hired to go to San Francisco when um, – when Kyle Shanahan took over the job. So they're going to play that cover three scheme, and they're going to spend the majority of time in there. That makes sense to me. Like, it's the scheme that he became a star in. You're going to do it in Cleveland. And and let me just say this about Cleveland, and you know how I feel about the Cleveland Browns. They just lack They're a, an emotional maturity, a lack of emotional maturity football team. And that's going to be a big challenge. But it just feels like the kind of move they're going to make. Like, hey, you know, it's like the captain of Titanic. There are no icebergs in this water. Full steam ahead. We'll get him. We got, you know, we got a a bunch of other guys. We thought we were winning the Super Bowl last year. Now, I love Stefanski, their head coach. He's a good guy. Um, I think most guys who get their first opportunity are probably in over their heads. I just think that's the nature of the business. But, That, to me, makes the most sense for a landing spot for Earl Thomas.
1: Okay, let me throw this team, and I guess I'm surprised this team didn't come up right away. Uh, What about the Patriots? You will not find an opposing player that Bill Bill, uh, Bill Belichick seems to hold in such reverence bigger than Earl Thomas. Yeah, I
0: mean... I think they've got. I think the thing about is that
1: just not a defense philosophical
0: match. I think about the thing about the Patriots. Now the Patriots can play a lot of man coverage. That's what they want to be in. <clears throat> they want to be in man. Um, and you know, you got a single high safety in man. Anytime you're in cover one, you got a single high safety that that is playing that middle of the field defender. So um, you know, he is he's a helper. Um, so that would that would be a fit. Um, I think there's so much turnover and they've got some really good safeties. McCourty is a outstanding, outstanding safety for them. So I just don't know that. I don't know that that would be the fit for New England right now. Um, but I, you know, like Earl is Earl's a great player. and And there's going to be somebody, even though he's had his, he had obviously his issues in Baltimore and he had his issues in Seattle being unhappy, whatever um those are their issues not our issues you know and and one thing I know about the NFL there's enough ego in the NFL that that says hey that guy might have been a problem everywhere else he's been but under my expert and my expert tutelage you know I'll fix him right whether that's ownership or whether that's general managers or whether that's head coaches they always feel like they've got the answer um rarely do they ever actually have the answer if a guy's
1: an issue a guy's an issue yeah I I I kind of confused Earl Thomas and Ed Reed. Yeah. I mean, no, I, I knew what you were But Bel I mean Belichick, I mean right. he loves
0: loves those Ed Reed was his probably one of his favorite all time yes, players. But he
1: loves those right. cerebral mm-hmm. safeties. Yeah. You know, Rodney Harrison, McCordy. Right. You know, he loves those guys that, you know, are the true you know quarterbacks back there in your secondary, so that's right. why you know a guy like Thomas linking him to the Patriots, right. I, I would think, would make a lot of sense. But you're right, Cleveland probably would would need him need him more. Um, one one more thought that uh, jumped out at me was uh, this is fascinating when you think about somebody that with the stature of a of a Aaron Rodgers, but he's having a really good camp, mm-hmm. and he's acknowledging he's having a really good camp. And he said part of the reason is he went back and looked at film of himself in 2010. Right. Now he won't divulge what he saw, but he said he went back and looked at it, noticed some things, applied it in practice the next day, and immediately noticed the difference. And people are noticing a difference. Right. Who cares, Do you have any thoughts what that could possibly be?
0: Oh, I think that's. I think it's footwork stuff. You think footwork. I think. I think one. You know, if you go back to 2010, I'm sure there were a lot. I'm sure that in 2010, he was under center a lot more than he is in 2019. Um, And that's the nature of football in general. But I think what ends up happening to you, Mike, is that over time, you lose a little bit of your footwork mechanics. Simply because you spend so much time in shotgun. It's not it's it's just not drilled as much you know what I'm saying yep. so I mean I I used to do this I used to have some old film and stuff whenever whenever things weren't going as well as I'd like them to go I used to go back and look at stance you go back and look at sets what was I when I was playing really well what was I doing and how is it different than what I'm doing right now and so you can learn a lot From self-study, you can learn a lot by going back and looking at yourself at a time in place where you're like, man, I was playing so good back then. Let me look. And usually it's mechanical. Usually it's something in your footwork. I mean, think about sports in general. It all starts from your feet. You know, Daryl Green used to say this to young DBs. I talked to Champ Bailey about it because Champ Bailey, remember, got drafted by the skins or the Washington football team. And um, and Daryl Green was his mentor. And Daryl used to say, hey, hands are great, but feet are better. And it's true. Why? Because f- everything starts with feet. You know, you think about a, a, you think about a shortstop. We have one of the best shortstops in in all baseball here in Colorado in Trevor Story. I mean, there's nobody that makes more. There's nobody that covers more ground at the shortstop position. And this is, you know, these are the sabermetrics, metrics, the yeah. analytics, whatever you, you call it.
1: UZR.
0: UZR. What does that stand
1: for? I think it's ultimate zone rating. I believe. I know oh, wow. it's UZR. I'm not 100% if I got it right.
0: Nerd alert. Now no, Google. Okay. So there's nobody that covers more ground than Trevor Story. Well, where does that start? Well, it starts with your eyes, but it really starts with your, you know, your reaction time. But it starts with your feet. Your feet have to get you into that position. So, feet are boom. UZR, you're on it. Feet are the ultimate. That that's the ultimate thing. Working on footwork. Working on the steps you want to take. I was a stickler for footwork. Again, you know, my hands, you know, I always wanted to have great hands, strong hands, powerful hands. I want to punch people and all that stuff. But it starts with your feet. If your feet are out of position, it doesn't matter how good your hands are. If your feet don't come with you, guess what? You're off balance. You don't, you don't have your weight gathered underneath you. If you're over your toes, you're out of balance. If you're on your heels, you're going to get your ass run over. So it all has to do with how your feet are. And you think about, hey, man, we're, we're talking – NBA playoffs right now. I'm talking about how the Denver Nuggets are the worst defensive team in the bubble. Why? Well, they can't bring their feet with them. They can't defend the. They can't defend the three point line. They can't. I mean, any guard that wants to penetrate can penetrate. Like you have got to have great feet. You constantly got to be working on your feet. And when your feet even get a little bit out of whack, it throws your whole game off. It it throws. You you generate. You generate. Arm force through ground force through your feet. That's where the throwing motion starts. You want to watch great. You want to watch great power leaks in throwing mechanics. Like let's go back to baseball. Show me a guy with bad feet, and I'll show you a guy where he where he loses power. I'll show you the great power leaks. And so I'm sure Aaron Rodgers looked at himself and said, "Man, look, I mean, look at the attention to detail. Look how my whether my feet were, you know." How, However, they were like, look how close they were. Look at look at the spread. Look at what's going. Look what's different now. There, there's something different.
1: Well, okay, then, then I, I guess it's it's ultimately it's good news for Aaron Rodgers and the Packers. If you're a Packer fan, that he had this sort of epiphany mm-hmm. from going back, but it's also an acknowledgement from Aaron Rodgers. I haven't been good enough. Right. Something's something's off. Something's off. I can and, be better. And I'm. And maybe it was the wake up call that he got with Jordan Love being. Maybe this yeah. was part of the
0: sure. I mean that's part of, of the of
1: drafting Jordan Love is that you lit a bit of a fire yeah.
0: under Aaron Rodgers. That's part of the process, man. It's part of you know. It's part of the process when all of a sudden you're untouchable and then you get touched, right? You're like, wait a minute, nobody's supposed to touch me. Well, you got touched, and that's that's an eye opening experience. So good for him, you know. Good for him for one. Recognizing it for what it was worth, two saying, "Well, like I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go hone my craft. I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go kind of dig deep to see what it is that I can do to make myself better." I and mean, isn't that ultimately what it's about? I think so.
1: Well, should should be interesting because we, we've, you and I've had this conversation many times about Aaron Rodgers and the Packers, the dynasty that never was. Yeah. You know, I mean, he's he's stuck on one. And I never thought you'd say this, but I think Aaron Rodgers is now at a point where, if he truly wants to go down among the greatest quarterbacks that ever played, that you know, when he's on that that uh, you know short list that gets brought up all the time, he's got to win another title.
0: Yeah, no, I I agree with that. I think he's, I think if he retires today, he's a Hall of Famer.
1: Oh, of course, yes. But, but
0: but to be in that conversation, to be on in on the big table. Yeah. Right?
1: Yep. Big boy table. Yep. The big You're boy.
0: Right. To sit with Brady.
1: Brady. And, and
0: Manning. Yep. And Joe Montana. Yep.
1: And Elway. and Elway. Yeah.
0: Yes. And to sit at that table. Yeah. You got to do it with another one. Yep. One's not enough. No. Now, if you want to sit down, even though Eli won two, if you want to sit down on that Eli table and the Dan Marino table. Yep. And you want to, you know, you want to have dinner down there. Mm-hmm.
1: They'll I mean, you're, th- that's it.
0: where you're going to be. Yeah. That's where you. I, I agree with you. I think there's there needs to be another championship in Packerland.
1: And maybe he realizes they that. call
0: it Packerland. Sure. <laughs>
1: that's would you call it.
0: I don't know, Pack Nation. Do they have a eh. Do they have a thing like that? Like uh,
1: just the pack.
0: The pack. It's like us, the Wolf Pack. A wolf Pack. Oh.
1: Why do we call ourselves a Wolf Pack?
0: Because we don't you know, concern ourselves with the opinion of sheep.
1: There you go. On that note, did
0: we nickname ourselves? Yeah, we did. Holy toolbox! I know. All right, um, for Mike, my toolbox buddy, uh, <laughs> Scott, who's injured again. Yeah. Um, hey,
1: you're the lead wolf, man.
0: I am the lead wolf. All right, er, for our friends at Sweet Sweat, we thank you so much for participating. Thank you for sponsoring the show, um, and we'll be back with you at the uh, end of the week.